Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Good morning. You're listening to 3CR's Spoken Word, and my name is Ella Fenelskar. Today is going to be all about haiku. I'm excited about today's program, as haiku is a long-standing poetic love of mine. This is my first haiku-themed show, and for this occasion, I've brought a special guest into the studio to explore and discuss these tiny poems, which are often surrounded by considerable mystery and misunderstanding. Maren Lysenko has been studying and writing haiku for 20 years. He has published one book of haiku, won an international haiku prize in Japan, and has been published in many overseas and Australian haiku journals. Maren was part of Ruku Troupe, which was a trio of haiku poets instrumental in getting haiku published on Melbourne's trains in 2006. He is the Victorian Regional Officer for Haiku Oz. Myron also conducts seasonal ginkgo, which are haiku walks and workshops, which we will hopefully have time to discuss further. So I reckon he might have a thing or two to say about haiku. Welcome to Spoken Word, Myron. Good morning, Ella. Thanks for having me on your program. Thanks for coming. Um, why does haiku appeal to you, Myron? I love the process of writing haiku because it makes me go outside and uh, and uh, with a notebook and I look and listen and it forces me to be in the moment because I just sit there or stand somewhere uh, usually in a beautiful spot, and observe things until uh, until a haiku comes to me. Mm. And uh, I love that process because even when I'm uh, not writing well, there's something uh, beautiful about being in the moment. Absolutely. Which, and I suppose I'm not in in the moment very often in my life. I'm either in my past especially when I'm writing my longer poetry or I'm worried about the future. Mm, mm-hmm. And so so the whole idea of being uh, outside and trying to 
capture the essence of a moment is uh, is a lovely feeling. And I think uh, with the haiku that I write, what I try to do is I try to uh, I try to uh, uh, capture two images in the one haiku because that's what uh, they're the kind of haiku that appeal to me. The haiku that um, uh, create a spark between two different images. Mm. And so it's a it's a writing haiku is is just a a lovely way to be creative. Mm, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Even, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, Maren, could you share some of your favourites um, from the classic masters? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, here are some uh, haiku which uh, inspired me when I first began writing towards the end of the uh, 20th century. <laughs> Seems like such a long time ago. <laughs> Uh, so this first one is by uh, Busson, who was around from 1716 to 1784. Cold chill. I step on my dead wife's comb in the bedroom. And he, uh, the, the thing that people say about haiku is uh, they say that you're not really allowed to make things up. Some people think you're not allowed to make things up. But Busson wrote this haiku when he's wife was alive. Okay. And she, actually she outlived him by 30 years or so. <laughs> uh, so he captured that uh, that moment, even though it wasn't something that he experienced directly. So, mm. you know, some people say you have to experience things directly to write haiku, but I don't think that's particularly yeah, true. Yeah, I remember. And I remember you talking about this on um, Ginkgo's. Yeah. And I remember ha- uh, Matt Hetherington saying, no, 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 if it's not true, it's not a haiku, it's just a short poem. And yeah, so there is a, a, um, a sort of differing of opinions on that one. And yeah, but, it's interesting. Yeah, it is. But, uh, you know, the imagination or even life experiences, if that hasn't happened to you, but it's happened to somebody else. It's still true, isn't it? Mm, yeah. Um, so even when I'm out... Uh, out writing haiku, you know, I try to capture what is there, but sometimes uh, words come into my mind that uh, that relate to something else, and so I just go with that. Mm-hmm. It's poetry, after all. It's not a it's not a it's not a lie detector. Is it? <laughs> haiku is not a lie detector. Here's another one by Busson: "Sleeping on the temple bell, a butterfly." And so I kind of love the uh, serenity in there and the, and the uh, What's going to happen when that temple bell is rung? Hmm. Another one by Busson. Coolness. The sound of the bell as it leaves the bell. Which is a, which is a moment frozen in time, that hmm. one. Beautiful. Here's uh, one by Basho. Uh, cicada shell. It sang itself utterly away. Which is uh, quite a sad one. And his most famous one, uh, Old Pond, a frog jumps into the sound of water. So that's a haiku by Basho, which has been translated over a hundred times. Yeah, how many different versions have we seen? Yeah, Mm. yeah, there's so many, Mm. including some really terrible ones. (laughs) I think Phil and Getty did one, which was something like uh, uh, Old Pond, a frog jumps in, kerplunk. (laughs) So would you say this is your one of your favourite translations of that particular? Uh, I think that's my favourite translation. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then again, you see, I don't speak Japanese, so, yeah. so I only go to what appeals to me anyway, appeals to my poetic sensibilities. Uh, this one's by Chio Ni, 
who was around from 1703 to 1775. Uh, she, she wrote this one. But for their voices, the herons would disappear. Morning snow. And then the next one is uh, Morotaki, 1473 to 1549. The blossom returning to its branch, a butterfly. <laughs> Uh, this is Boncho, 1640 to 1714. The brushwood, though cut for fuel, begins to bud. Mm. So I love the uh, the sense of optimism in that one. Yeah. Mm. And the next one's uh, Kikaku, who was one of Basho's disciples. Uh, when I think it is my snow on my hat, it becomes lighter. So what do you make of that one? Mike? Well, that's the uh, ownership, I guess. You know yeah. that life is hard, but if it's your life, then it's not so hard. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> uh, I just, I just love the, I just love the, uh, the wit in that one. Mm, mm, mm. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, rules and form, um, because uh, you know in the. Japanese language where it originated they governed it you know with the sound syllables but that doesn't really work in English so yeah tell us a little bit about that Lauren. Uh, well what, usually when we're introduced to haiku at, in school uh, they teach us about syllables uh, that a haiku has five syllables on mm. the first line seven on the second and five on the third uh, but that's uh, a very basic uh, way to consider haiku. Uh, normally teachers teach that because they want the students to learn about syllables rather than poetry. Yeah, this is true. Uh, the thing about uh, haiku is uh, a syllable in English does not equal a sound unit in Japanese. Mm, exactly. Mm-hmm. So a 17-syllable poem contains 30 to 40% more information than a Japanese poem. Mm. And so... And if, if you if you hear poems that are seven syllables long, they kind of seem too wordy. And so uh, the main thing about a haiku really, uh, for me, is uh, that it uh, uses sensory images. Uh, it captures one moment. And usually there's a juxtaposition, a contrast or a comparison or an association between the two images. And also uh, a haiku is normally an unfinished poem that each reader finishes it off uh, whichever way they want. Oh, okay. So uh, a haiku is not really a narrative Mm -hmm. and and it's got to be more than just a picture uh, for it to be a good haiku. But uh, it's really hard to write a good haiku. Do you have like rules that govern you um, in, 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 in a way to write a good one? Uh, not really. I don't, the haikus don't really have rules. They have guidelines. And so it's up to each poet to, to follow the guidelines that they want. So uh, do you think that it's the poet's role to create their own guidelines? Yeah, it's, each, mm. it's, it's every poet's job to try to capture a, an essence of themselves uh, in the world. And the way that they do that is uh, up to them. You know, you, 
if you, if for instance, if you do write haiku of seventeen syllables, no one's going to come and arrest you and say, "Yeah, that's we're from the haiku mm, police. We're mm, going to mm. put you in jail for writing seventeen syllable haiku." So, uh, every poet decides what their own guidelines uh, should be. The thing is, uh, I think it's a good idea to study the different guidelines because there are up to sixty different guidelines mm. that you can use when yeah. you when you write haiku. And mm. So you just choose the ones you want. Mm. And normally uh, when I write haiku, I don't so much follow guidelines as little techniques. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you want me to talk a little yeah, bit please, about those techniques? Please. Like, yeah, please, uh, uh, I don't know where I found it, but I found it somewhere on the net and someone said uh, one of the ways you can write haiku is that um, you think about the, th- the three W's the WWW technique, which is uh, one of the lines uh, shows when the haiku is happening, one of the lines uh, shows where it's happening, and the third line or the other line shows what is happening. So normally the what is happening, that's where uh, the verb is placed in the haiku. Mm, Okay. Mm Because quite often uh, the haiku is a a noun-based poem and it only really... usually has one verb in it because you're trying to capture one moment. Although you can have more than one verb, but normally they contain one verb or sometimes they don't contain a verb at all. Mm -hmm. And this is really going back to you talking about it being image-driven, right? You know, with having the nouns. That's right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and so when you choose your nouns, it's good to be specific about your nouns. Instead of saying tree... You say, you know, oak tree or, or pine mm. uh, because the more specific you are with the noun, uh, the more chance there is that symbolism will uh, occur in, the, in that haiku because an oak tree has a different symbolism to a pine tree. Mm, absolutely. Mm. And the same with flowers and birds. If you, And that's where uh, sometimes, you know, you have to make things up. Especially if you're like me, if you don't know the names of all those plants or all those birds, <laughs> you just find the plant or the bird uh, which suits the purpose of that haiku. Yes, I remember that. I, I I get very attached to the truth as well and hunt and want to know the name and then you're like, Ella, just, you know, this name sounds fine. It doesn't matter if it's not the accurate one. Well, That's right, yeah. because sometimes the real name is too long anyway for yeah. the haiku. It yeah. has too many syllables, yeah. far too many syllables. <laughs> but I'm still attached to that truth a little bit more, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there's other, there are other techniques I use. That's the WWW technique. There's also the, uh, uh, the, uh, the movie technique where... Uh, the haiku starts with uh, with a long shot and then comes in for a, a close up. Uh, that's a lovely technique to use, or you can use it the other way around. Start with a close up and then move out to a, a longer uh, image. There's uh, so there's juxtaposition. There's the www. There's the movie technique. Uh, sometimes you can just write. Um, uh, well, Shiki, who was, uh, who was a Japanese master who invented the term haiku, uh, he had a technique called uh, uh, shasi, which is a sketch from life, where he said, yeah, you, you go out and you, and you uh, write what you see and hear around you. But the thing about that too is, uh, you know, you can be honest to what you see or, and hear around you when you write your first draft of the haiku. But then... Eventually, you have to go back into your room to sit at your desk and and revise them and Mm. and try to make them better. 
Mm. And that's where and that's where you don't have to be truthful to that moment any longer. Mm. I think because uh you know because then the poem has to take over. Yeah, okay. The poem has to take over. There's mm. no there's no point in being true to the moment if uh if you're not going to be writing good poetry. So, Myron, now let's hear some of your haiku. Okay. Uh, this is one I wrote uh, at Castlemaine, or outside of Castlemaine. Child Cemetery. A ghost gum leans over the graves. And this is one I wrote on a ginkgo that we went to, to uh, Aries Inlet. Uh, lighthouse. They marry on the edge of a cliff, which is uh, maybe the reason why I don't want to get married again. <laughs> that might be my philosophy about marriage. I remember that. I remember there were many great uh, there, that one. Oh, yeah, you were on that gig. Yeah. That's right. That was, uh, here's one I wrote at the Faulkner Cemetery. Morning fog on my brother's grave, a frozen wreath. And this is one I wrote a couple of years ago in Woodend. Stumbling toward my 60th birthday. Cool change. Although maybe a heat wave would have been better there. <laughs> uh, empty mailbox. A red magnolia falls at my feet. So we live in a house in Woodend which has uh, two beautiful magnolia trees. And uh, they're the best magnolia trees in the street. So... Uh, both my partner Jane and I write a lot of haiku about the <laughs> about those magnolias. Nice inspiration. Yeah. Mm. Angry words. A small maple leaf follows us inside. So that's a haiku which I think has uh, some kind of a metaphoric resonance. Mm. Some people say you shouldn't use metaphor in haiku, but I think uh, subtle metaphor is uh, is important. Uh, in uh, in haiku, mm. uh, sometimes I just see something that I think is funny. Uh, missing teeth, my comb also missing teeth. <laughs> and this is when I wrote one morning when I couldn't get out of bed. Slow to rise, a snail crawls up my bedroom door. So I spent about half an hour looking at that snail and, and writing, <laughs> writing that haiku. Uh, occasionally I go to Hanging Rock, which is not too far from where we live in Woodend, and I wrote this one there. Rock climb. Each step has its own waterfall. And I've been uh, down with the virus for the last couple of weeks, and I have this one. Open mind, but my nose is full. <laughs> uh, sometimes uh, you can write a haiku with uh, with a uh, with a question in it, a rhetorical question or a naive question or a childlike question. Uh, this one's uh, dementia. Is this a chance to beat my father at chess? Mm. Uh, don't take this the wrong way, he says, knowing I will take it the wrong way. Good, I like that. Uh, some of my friends try to have confront, uh, con- conversations with me, but they just end up having confrontations, and, <laughs> and uh, that was one of them. Uh, Valentine's Day. The elderly man 
kisses his wife's name. So there's one that I made up. You know, I, I was sitting uh, sitting uh, in a creative writing class and uh, uh, and I just wrote that one, thinking about uh, an old married couple. Mm. Uh, her clothes hang over her hangover. Jogger, I wave to him in my pyjamas. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just do two more, will I? Mm. Uh, argument, smoke from their cigarettes intertwines. And the last one, uh, compost heap. My daughter rings to say she is sick. Mm. Mm. That's great. Myron, can you talk to us about what you ultimately see as the difference between haiku and senru? Uh, it's a very difficult question. Uh, uh, put simply, a haiku uh, is about uh, nature and uh, a senru or senru is about human nature. Mm. Uh, but most of the... Most of the haiku that I see published today, there's a there's an anthology that comes out every year which uh, brings together the best of uh, English language haiku from all over the world because there's there's 30 to 40, 50 different places where you can have your haiku published worldwide. And, uh, and this anthology brings uh, together the best. And I had a look through a recent uh, uh, issue of that and most of the haiku in there we're a combination of nature and human nature. And so, you know, so, uh, some people say that uh, if, the, if the focus is on nature, then it's a haiku. If, if the focus is on, is on human nature, then it's a senru. But uh, in many ways, I don't really care what the difference is. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you think that some of yours you could identify as like, okay, that's a senru or okay, that's a haiku or even when you read from the masters or do you think their lines really blur? Well, with the masters, the, the haiku wasn't around, the, the name haiku wasn't around when they wrote and so I, I don't think they even cared. Uh, but like the that Busan one... Um, about him stepping on his on his dead wife's comb, mm-hmm. you know the the focus there is very much on uh, on humanity and and the emotion of of losing a loved one. So, you know, if Busan was alive today, would would we say, oh, that's not a haiku, that's a that's a senru? Yeah, yep. You know, but the other question thing is, you know, is it really important? Because mm, mm. they're so similar, the yeah. haiku and the senru are so similar. Mm. Sometimes I don't think it's even worth thinking about the distinctions mm. between them. Yeah, I was contemplating that the other day, and I think I think all of my haiku are senru. I don't think any of them are haiku, and yeah. so that's nice for you to say that because yeah. it, it is hard to totally extrapolate ourselves from the haiku, the human nature. And if it's just purely nature, then there's it can sometimes be a disconnect, and then it doesn't really feel like poetry. Yeah. 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 Mm.
I'd like to share this quote with our listeners and with you, Myron, taken from the book The Haiku Year. Sure. I've come to believe with all my heart that even the poems of the masters, as beautifully as they fall on paper, were first and foremost a spiritual endeavour on the part of the authors themselves and that the world might be, um, just be, a better place to live in if everybody wrote haiku. Do you think that um, writing haiku can be a spiritual endeavour? It can be, but uh, to my mind it's more of a poetic endeavour. And whether the world could be a nicer place... I wrote a haiku about that and it goes, um, I finished writing haiku, then I squashed that moth. (laughs) So, you know, we can be mindful and spiritual and and lovely when we're writing haiku, but it doesn't mean we're going to be like that for the rest of our lives. Mm. And I guess that's even like with meditation too. Like people say, you know, if you can be really mindful in the moment, but the rest of your life, you know, you're an asshole. Then that's right. Pointless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do you think like it can cultivate that? Like it has the potential to, to bring that, that element into your life, that mindful? It can make you skill. a nicer person for a short while. <laughs> And what do you think about the, the process of writing regularly, making yourself write regularly haiku or waiting to be inspired to write haiku? Well, I think writing haiku uh, is more about going out with your notebook and being in the moment rather than waiting for any kind of inspiration. It's more of a – it's a long process. You know, sometimes I go out for four or five hours and maybe I only write two or three haiku. Mm. So uh, – it's just the process. It's not really. It's not much to do with inspiration. It's just getting out there and and listening and observing and and then seeing what happens. Mm, excellent. So you're very much then saying it's about the practice. Yeah. And yet turning up and putting yeah. in that effort. Mm. It, it, as far as discipline goes, you know, I try to do it every day. Mm. So that creative hole uh, doesn't uh, doesn't doesn't uh, get covered over. So, Myron, ginkgo, what are they? What happens on them? And when's the next one? And how can we find out more? Okay, well, a ginkgo is a haiku walk. Uh, quite a, f- uh, a few people get together and uh, we discuss what kind of focus our haiku will uh, take and then we'll walk around in a scenic spot and write haiku. The next ginkgo, number 27, will take place at the Royal Botanical Gardens on Sunday the 24th of May. Uh, between 11am and 3pm and we will meet at the Terrace Tea Rooms and if you want to come along you can uh, find out you can Google me or find me on Facebook or my page is Ginkgo with Lysenko on Facebook which will have the details on it Fantastic, really looking forward to this one Myron. It'll be good. It'll be excellent Thanks for being my haiku guest today Myron. Lovely um, you've been listening to 3CR's Spoken Word and I'm Ella Fenelska. And if you're interested in seeing some uh, live poetry in Melbourne, you can jump online and look up melbournespokenword.com where all the details are. Myron will finish today's program with a final bracket of haiku. My heart beats just for you. Thunderstorm. Scattered showers, 
I run for the train wearing odd shoes. Dark moon, she stays out all night. Even after death, each one is different, leaning headstones. She finds her great-grandmother, lichen on the stone. A blackbird flies towards the moon. Cancer ward. <laughs>